All right, and we're live. How are you doing today, John? I'm good, David, and yourself? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast all the way from New York City. Yes, indeed. But, you know, energy knows no bounds, so <laughs> we, might <as> well <laughs> in, we might as well be in the same room. Uh, man, that'd be so cool. That'd be cool if you could be here. Um, now, tell me a little bit about yourself. I, I don't know a whole lot about you. You reached out to me after I had Taylor on the podcast. First off, how did you meet Taylor? Are you guys friends? You guys go way back? So Taylor and I met through a mutual acquaintance. We actually run the same program. We both got healthy and kicked our vices and escaped a life of negativity through the same process. And folks that walk the same path or are involved in the same process are in the same group. And our paths intersected in the digital space by following in the footsteps of a, you know, someone, our same mentor, essentially. And when I saw him on the show, I realized that, you know, you were similarly aligned, even if you weren't in the same group as Taylor and I, but you walked a similar path of healing and redemption. And that's what, you know, caused me to reach out. Um, now, when you say the same group, what is, what is that group? The Watson Fit Coaching Program. This is a, a group a fitness program based on mindset and uh, yeah, just positive living um, group of folks that are interested in living a better life through aligning the actions we take every day with the future we desire. And uh, yeah, it's a coaching program. And Wes Watson did a long stretch in prison. When he came out, he used the tactics that he formed in jail in an extremely adverse environment to help guys in the so-called free world, such as myself and Taylor, heal themselves and kick their own negative habits and kick their own negative vices and replace them with positive uh, habits and positive ways of living. It's so important to have programs like that available to to people because, I mean, that's one thing by doing this podcast, I, I've talked to so many people that have overcome challenges and have overcome things where they didn't, they maybe stumbled across somebody who was able to guide them, but most of them didn't have the proper uh, person in their life to help, uh, help them get on this, the straight and narrow path that they needed. They didn't have somebody who would help them uh, change their mindset. They just were kind of out there on their own trying to figure life out for themselves. Which is absurd. There's no time in history where there has not been strong, positive leadership at the middle and upper levels of the age groups to guide the younger age groups to the positive end result yeah. that the species requires. This is one of the main things that's been robbed from us is any sort of intergenerational guidance based around right living, right thought, right action, leadership and mentorship. It's it's wild, and it's why so many young people have so many problems. Do you think it's something that we lack in today's society, or is that something that just kind of went away and there was more of it in past in in the past? The way that society used to be organized, there was by default a multi generational structure. When humans were in in smaller towns and villages and bands and smaller groups, we had to rely on each other, and not just rely on each other for you know, some people are better at hunting and some people are better at fishing for the physical requirements of survival. But there was an emotional reliance that is, is gone. If you think about a tribal elder, if you think about a village elder, if you think about a religious or spiritual figure, a shaman, a priest, right. a, a rabbi, these were very important figures in the pre-modern era and even in the early days of the modern era. But now that the nuclear family, the so-called nuclear family is the dominant force of organization in society, you have each child has at most maybe two people to rely on with divorce rates over 50 percent in this country mm -hmm. maybe fewer than two people to rely on maybe grandma and grandpa are there sometimes maybe they go and visit grandma and grandpa but it's 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 absurd the notion that we could somehow be okay mentally while only getting mental and spiritual and emotional guidance from one or maybe two people who themselves likely didn't get the guidance they needed is exactly why most people are emotionally damaged and spiritually bereft and really wounded and traumatized and I don't know if it was by design or what, but it certainly has occurred. And we can watch that design unfold every day. It's why the crises are multiplying and refracting everywhere. And we're exporting these mental health crises around the world as the nuclear family becomes more prevalent and more dominant. And it is not okay. As a resident of New York City, as someone who was born and raised in New York City, I can speak to this problem immensely. There are over 8 million people in New York City, and it's probably the most alienating and alienated place that I've ever been to. When you live in close proximity to others and never get to know them, you know, there's a point in time in my life where I could name every starter on the Knicks, uh, every starter and bench player on the Knicks and Giants, but I didn't know 
the names of people that lived on the other side of a wall for me. You know, this, <laughs> and this is this is standard. This is acceptable behavior. Those are other people. They we don't like them because they're not in our family. We will never learn about them. We don't really care for them. We don't care about them. We don't trust them. But the sporting individuals, well, we're going to learn everything about their families. The celebrities, we're going to learn all about what makes them tick and care a lot about them and their problems and their foibles. We're going to live vicariously through their successes. We're going to suffer with their pain. We're going to go to the entertainment system to get meaning in our life. We're going to, you know, the new tribalism, I've noticed, if you ever talk to people, and I don't really do this anymore, but I'm often around people, and the dominant mode of conversation is what the television shows are doing with their minds and what the sporting events are doing with their focus. The, the vast focus, the vast majority of people's focus is on this other group, the cultural production group, the entertainment group, the sports group. It's never on the self. And it's it's a way that people escape their own pain. Well, I don't have to worry about the fact that I cheated on my ex because I can pay attention to this. I don't have to worry about the fact of my own family where I can care about this simulated family online. I don't have to care about my own body when I can order whatever I want, whenever I want and have it just poison me. And it's a serious issue. I think about, I think about that quite often, um, especially because like, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty busy person most of the time. And so like, I have to try to be, uh, I have to be, I have to have a schedule. I have to have some sort of routine. And if I don't have that, it just, it messes me up. And when I don't have a schedule, when I don't have a routine, I find myself getting distracted by social media and just like, like uh, just randomly scrolling through. And I'm like, this is all this is, is a huge distraction. And like, for me, it's a huge distraction. I couldn't imagine like what it would be for somebody who doesn't have much going on in their life, you know, that maybe they don't own a business or maybe they aren't, um, they don't have some sort of hobby they're trying to pursue. Maybe they just work and they come home all day, come home from working all day and then they just sit on their phone and scroll. It's just a huge distraction from life and the things that you want to pursue. A hundred percent. And to take the distraction further, we're actually everything outside of being in alignment with positivity and bringing positivity to us and bringing our best self to everyone else is essentially a distraction and an escape. A lot of people will use their job as an escape. So I can't do this thing because I have this thing. But instead of acknowledging that if you were to improve yourself, maybe you would not have to work that job. Or maybe if you improve yourself, you wouldn't need to drink alcohol on the weekends to forget the fact that you don't like your job. Or maybe if you improve yourself, you wouldn't need to use drugs to forget whatever trauma you're running from. It's in the distraction that that people find meaning, but it's it's on the contrary. It's the distraction that takes the meaning away from their life. And you mentioned routine. I couldn't function without my routine. I could not function. I know what I used to do for 20 years, I had no real routine. Actually, the dominant routine for most people is one that forms in high school. I, I think if I can speak generally, at least in the dominant global culture, at least in North American culture, you do something you hate during the week. And on the weekends, you consume as many intoxicants as possible to forget the fact that you have to go back to doing something you hate. And from 14 to 18, it was high school. For a lot of people, it's the college work, or you go straight into the job market, whatever it is. And then you have Monday through Friday where you're doing something you don't like, but you have to do it. And on the weekends you do it. And, and this is really the dominant force of existence. This, this is people's routine. They have this five day thing I don't like, and then two day hedonism five. And that's the routine for me. And I'm assuming for you as well. And it's pretty clear for you as well. I have a daily routine, a structure where I wake up at a certain time. I engage in a certain physical activity. I consume a certain quantity and quality of food. I give this amount of effort towards income generating things. And then that's my routine. But the routine we're encouraged to do is this BS escape. That's not a routine. Running yeah. to that stuff on the weekends is not a routine. That's just nihilism. Yeah, it's it's interesting to watch when you talk like, what, what, are you still there? I'm here. Okay, that was weird. Like the sound just like the audio just like cut out for a minute. No, I'm here. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like when when I go to work on Monday, asking people like, "What'd you do this weekend?" Oh, like I went to the bar. I went. I'm like, well, "How do you have time?" Like, I I just don't have time for that. I don't understand. Like, and I don't like the way it makes me feel. Amazing, right? There's a one to one. <laughs> this one. This is how dumb I was. This is how lost I was. And I want everyone to understand that any judgment you hear me passing now is not a judgment against you necessarily. This is a judgment against me, the man I was from 14 to 34. People need to understand that they get so sensitive when they hear me speak the truth because 
what I say is the truth and it makes them vibrate a certain way. But the truth that makes you vibrate that way is just me speaking out against 20 years of poor behavior. But this is how dumb I was. It took me 20 years to learn this lesson. You ready? There's ready. a one-to-one, there's a one-to-one correlation between drinking a lot at night and being hungover and feeling like crap in the morning. And that was a 20 year lesson for me. I had to make that mistake for 20 years before I realized, hmm, this anxiety I feel, the dry mouth, my half empty wallet, the mistakes I made with other people, the drug use and all this nihilistic stuff, the late night eating is all because I over, I consumed too much booze last night. And yeah, and, and when I'm around hungover people, I'm like, do you not understand? Like you asked for this, like people get exactly what they asked for with their actions. And they wonder why they're broke, overweight, miserable, hungover, anxious, probably on prescription medication. Guys, you asked for that with your actions. So yeah, showing up to work on Monday is a glorious feeling for me. I, <laughs> I love it. I work for a, a much smaller company now, but for years, two years before this, I worked for a massive multinational tech company. And those Monday meetings, they're all Zoom meetings, were brilliant. Everyone had their camera off. Everyone was dragging their rear ends. Everyone was clearly in their feelings. Everyone had made mistakes. And your boy was chilling. I always had the camera on. I wanted to troll them. I never did it. But I wanted to, to show up shirtless one day just to really stun, just to stun on them and flex on them. But I probably would have lost the job. But yeah, man, you're right. Like, I'm curious to hear what, a, you know, tell us, I, I want to, you, you know, my routine, what do you do to stay sane? Uh, well, so every morning, generally I wake up at three 45 in the morning, I go for a run or I, I come, I have a gym in my house. And so I, uh, will come downstairs and I'll, I'll have an elliptical. I'll get on the elliptical for like 25 minutes. And then I, I have a body weight routine that I go through every single day. It's a hundred pushups, hundred body weight squats and a three minute plank. And I do that. And then generally I, I read for like 10, 15 minutes and then I journal for about 10 minutes. And that routine right there, it takes, it takes an hour to get through it. And that routine right there just sets up my day. It gives me everything I need for the day mentally, makes me feel strong. I have an accomplishment already and I feel great. And then, and then I go to work, I work all day and I come home and I lift. And that's generally my routine every single day. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Adherence to positive actions bring you positive results. You're in good shape. You seem with it. You have a creative pursuit. You also have a job. You have a home gym. Like these are all yeah. things that the vast majority of people in this country are probably listening in general don't have. Right. And I, I didn't have it for a very long time. I had never touched a dumbbell or barbell in my life before I started this program. Wow. I also got I also got fit in my apartment, not the one I'm in now, but a very small one. And then uh, I had an apartment fire, I lost that place. And I ended up moving with my parents. And they live in an old building in upper Manhattan with a proper gym in the basement. And I learned how to work out in a proper weight room there. And now I recently bought my own apartment. And I, I set up a more elaborate home gym, but the, the routine is the same. I'm up at four. I do some writing. I post on social media every day, which is my you know my gift to the the group, the world, whatever. I have an intense training routine, and about four or five times a week, I also train martial arts to do the cardio and, and the mind alignment. And and this is amazing. These are positive acts. I when I was sick because I was extremely depressed. I was extremely overweight. I was extremely anxious, and I had some extremely dark thoughts. I was at in a place I call the pit, which mm. is a place that a lot of people end up in. Um, because of their actions. I had driven myself to this very, very dark place because of my actions. All I had to do was replace the drinking, the smoking, the drug use, the lack of exercise, the sleeping in, and the going out with their opposites. And I got the opposite result. Instead of over being overweight, I got in shape. Instead of being broke, I became economically more successful. Instead of feeling a total lack of fulfillment and meaning in my life, I'm totally fulfilled. And it's self-fulfillment. I mean, I was so externally defined. I think this is really common for a lot of guys in their 20s and 30s that their self-worth or they believe their self-worth to be predicated on the manner in which they can get other people to give to them, right? So if I'm sleeping right. around and if I'm sleeping around and I attempt to sleep with 10 people and I'm successful in doing so, the, the standard logic would be that I've somehow filled my cup 10 times. But anyone that's done that knows how empty and nihilistic it is. We're actually becoming 10 times as empty. In order to be, in order to fill your cup, you have to give. You cannot take. And I was taking from everyone. 
everyone yeah. in my relationships i was taking when i was single i was taking i had a job like a low-level job that i was not keen on and i would cut out at the drop of a hat like the boss was gone i would leave at 2 30 and go see two <laughs> two movies and eat something disgusting like all of these things now would be impossible for guys like us because we know it works like you know what you just described is such a beautiful thing and folks watching if you are not engaging in daily improvement you are engaging in daily decreasing you are decreasing your power in yourself it, it it isn't even just i mean your external power of, of course but what really matters is what's inside your ability to show up your ability to be present your ability to love like i could not love anyone i was with not really it's one of the highest forms of self-respect when you can put yourself in a routine and you can have the discipline to continuously do it every single day then you respect yourself as a person you respect your 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 physical well-being you respect your mental well-being you respect everything about yourself because you're putting, you're putting yourself first and without that self-respect who is going to respect you the man who does not respect himself cannot be respected by others correct but we think we think it's the other way around we want other people to do all this stuff for us no we have to do things for ourselves and others for others to do anything for us. And the only thing really we should wish for others to do for us is to be able to be inspired by us. I used to want everything from everyone. I wanted the universe to deliver me money. I wanted the people I was trying to date to deliver me whatever I wanted. I wanted everyone to be relied on. I wanted to rely on everyone else, which is crazy. The only person we can rely on is ourselves. Yeah. And the best thing we can do for other people is to have them rely on us. And I was lost. And until I started really taking care of myself every day i remained lost sorry i gotta adjust no, this camera okay. i'm like i'm looking down at my uh computer but the camera's not like i feel like i'm just looking down i'm not looking at like uh i don't know sorry no but, no please it's all good this is this is real real tv i appreciate that <laughs> i try to keep it as real as possible but i don't do these uh zoom interviews as much anymore so, or not Zoom, this is StreamYard, but I don't do virtual interviews that often. So it's it's a little strange. I'll have to get out to Michigan for the next one. You'll have to come to the city. You're in Grand Rapids or Lansing? I'm in Lansing. Lansing, yeah. Yep. Got you. But yeah, I mean, that that's that's a, the big issue is is I was, and the real, the real challenge that I see in New York is how many people that others would believe to have it all that actually have nothing. Mm. Our culture, the typical conception of success is monetary gain. You know, New York is yep. filled. The, the middle class here would be very wealthy elsewhere. The upper middle class here would be beyond rich elsewhere. And the rich here are masters of the universe. But I went to school with a lot of them and I know a lot of them and they're all on prescription drugs. A lot of them are on or use illicit drugs. Everyone drinks. They have the same. The craziest thing is that the rich are miserable and it isn't crazy you and I know it isn't crazy because money can't buy you happiness, but the conception of rich people is they should have it all. They right. have what not rich people believe would make not rich people not miserable. Right. But then then in my line of work and a lot of other line of work, not just coaching, but I, you know, I co I've coached from all spectrums of society, but in my corporate work and my consulting work, I'm in touch with these people all the time. They don't have what you guys want because they haven't given it to themselves. If money could buy inner peace, then all the people you know that have killed themselves that are in the news would not have done so. Mm. No extraordinarily yeah. rich person would pass up the opportunity to buy inner peace. No middle-class person would pass up the opportunity to buy inner peace. It's not purchasable, but you can earn it. And there are some rich people so in all spectrums that earn the inner peace by doing what you do every day, what I do every day by giving ourselves that like you can't buy things but you can earn them there's a huge difference and you earn them from yourself and being in new york and being around people i have so much more in common the folks i've met on ig the folks that i've coached the folks i've been coached by if you were to line us up in a room it would not make any sense they're from all over the country i've also coached people internationally i've coached women people of different races these are folks that are just it's about energy alignment you know, you and I have a similar phenotype, you know, we're similar demographics and similar ethnographics, but 
the majority of people that I really vibe with that I are digging the, the message, it's about energy. It's about shared history of having trauma back in the day, willingness to heal it, ability to heal it, willingness to be open and vulnerable, willingness to share, because in sharing, you know, we can actually bring people together. Majority of people are not down to do any of this. And this is why the rich are so miserable. They're just like, they're as anxious and tightly wound and they're so afraid of losing what they have. But in being afraid of losing what they have, they realize that they're actually not giving themselves what they need. Like, right. It's wild. It's so painful. I walk down the streets. I live in a semi-busy part of town. And I walk down the streets of New York and it's like a forum for pain. I walk down the streets. It's a big open forum. You have a problem with food. You are talking to yourself. You clearly are resenting someone. You are chain smoking. Like you have this issue. You ha are missing something in your life. One of your people passed on before you wanted them to. You had something broken up and it's it's just really challenging. So New York is like, and I, it's the same place everywhere else, but in New York, it's just so concentrated. It's so neurotic. It's so, and I had a lot of that growing up, the, the amount of pain surrounding me. You know, I, I, I'm very sensitive and I ingested it and it became a part of me. And then of course, after you ingest something, it becomes a part of you, you then project it. So I was extremely anxious. I was extremely depressed. I was extremely neurotic. I was in a lot of pain. I was extremely closed. I didn't have social media. And this is the problem when you don't give yourself the opposite of these things, then you just end up giving everyone else that what you have. Yeah, absolutely. Now you had mentioned that you vibe with people that have a lot of trauma in the past and whatnot. Can you, do you mind talking about that a little bit? Like what, what, what does your past look like and how did you get to where you are today? I'm absolutely here for that. I walked a path that was expected of me. I think one of the most painful paths for people that come from my milieu, my group of let's just call them, you know, the, the person that you see in front of me, the person that presents themselves in this manner, the person that speaks in this manner, the person that had the education I went through for your university, there is a prescribed path that you walk it, you're expected and encouraged to engage in these behaviors. These behaviors are having fun. These behaviors are expected of you. You should do this during this and you need to do these activities. It was all there for the taking and it's mm. totally empty. That was like the adulthood part of it. The childhood part of it, my folks had a lot of unresolved trauma, like a ton of it on either side. And they're a bit older. They're in the 70s now. And so when they were growing up, and even when they reached, you know, post-adolescence, young adulthood, the, the uh, information around self-healing and whatnot was not really in the common sphere. And the idea of working through the pain that I have done and a lot of my contemporaries have done just wasn't really common cause even you know therapy and talking about things and working through them were somewhat taboo uh but yeah each one of them experienced pretty serious trauma in their own right and didn't have access to the knowledge base to heal it and of course unhealed trauma is going to be passed on and i definitely was around a lot of that now it wasn't physical abuse or anything like that but it was more just negative states there's a lot of anxiety there's a lot of depression lashing out of anger lack of self-control poor relationship modeling. And I internalized a lot of that. And when I was 15, 9-11 hit, I was going to school just a few blocks away from the Trade Center. And I do mean a few blocks for those unaware, a uh, uh, mile is 20 blocks. So I was maybe four or five blocks. I'll call it a quarter miles just up the road. You know, you can't, you can't really, uh, it's, <laughs> it was that close to it. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, when the when the first plane hit, it sounded like a car crash directly outside my window. Wow. I was on the fourth. I was on the fourth or fifth floor. If you've ever heard a car crash, you know cars don't crash fifty feet in the air, sixty feet in the air. But that's what it sounded like. Um, you know, it was an airplane crash. Let's say a quarter mile away. Um, and just a fallout from that. And listen, guys, I'm not a victim of any of this. I'm extremely grateful for everything I went through, all of it. Because without it, I wouldn't be here today, preaching a message of love and positivity. But to a 15-year-old who was naturally kind of sensitive, had already experienced a fair bit of instability at home, never really expected for things to sort of work out because I, I didn't really see them working out. And like a lot of unresolved things that just were ignored to then have this massive thing that I can't think of anything less working out than uh, a, a plane crashing into a building. If you can think of all the absurdities, all the unwanted things for a young person to see, probably that. Um, and then... FBI evacuated the place or the fire department or whatever. As we evacuated, looked down the West Side Highway um, and observed the second tower falling. Wow. So when you're that age 
and you see the death of thousands, you know, before your very eyes, it doesn't paint a particularly rosy future for what could happen, right? So you're exposed to this uh, very uncommon, painful, tra potentially traumatic thing. And then it's like, okay, well, you know, enjoy the rest of your life. having been exposed to mass death. Like, oh, okay, like, all right. And, and look, I don't know. I, I'm not in super close touch with most of my high school contemporaries. Perhaps they interpreted it differently. Maybe they had some way of processing it. My way of processing it was processing it was kind of just not really thinking about it and like, oh, that was odd. Like you definitely saw a couple thousand people die last week. And combination of like this trauma, and then when I got to college and high school, like I said, that routine of doing something you don't like and then you know losing control on the weekends, that's not a good mix. Like you take a naturally sensitive person who was around a lot of instability, experienced an extremely destabilizing event, and then put them in a, an area that you can essentially do whatever you want, which is, has been my life because it's, you know, I haven't really had to do much other than what I want to and recipe for disaster. So, you know, <laughs> a lot of drinking and drug use and hooking up. Like I was always targeting the worst individuals. I just brought a very bad version of myself to my relationships. That was a, that I will say was the greatest source of my pain and trauma, bringing a low level weak man to a relationship. That's what I did. And what did I get? I got awful results. I got pain. I brought pain. I brought negativity, unreliability, infidelity, the worst things for a man to do and bring. I brought to my relationships, casual and uh, and more serious. And oh, it was awful. So there's a lot of self-trauma. You know, you can't damage others without damaging yourself. And in damaging yourself, you're just priming yourself to damage others. It's just damage after damage. And it reached a pretty dark point. I went through a breakup in late 2020. It was a catalyst for my darkest state. And after that, oh, the gloves were off. I was out Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was calling people I did not care about. I was using a bunch of drugs I should not have been using. I was drinking as a tool to escape, you know? I was eating like a insane person and I was just hating life. If you do a bunch of self-hating acts and a bunch of hateful stuff, you are going to feel hated by the universe and because you are hating yourself. The man that overeats, overdrinks and sleeps around automatically hates himself because those things are inherently negative and inherently hateful. So you do a bunch of inherently negative, inherently hateful things that are encouraged by society, right? After a breakup, rebound, bro, like live your best life, like live in New York City. It was insane. Everything this town is so, all of that. Whatever you want to summon, you can summon. And being weak and broken, I did so. And it drove me to the pit. And man, it got dark. It got so dark, I was thinking about killing myself. Straight up. I'd be on a commute to a job that I didn't like uh, on the subway and thinking, hmm, like, it's today the day? Like, maybe, like, what's the best way to do this? Like, really, it was serious thoughts. And that's when I reached out to a coach, someone that had been in a negative place himself, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, always, and uh, got through it stronger than ever. So that's what needs to be done. And, and that eluded me for a long time. I always thought, how can I feel better? How can I feel better? Well, you see, find someone, guys, this is what I want to get across to you. You find someone that used to have your problem, no longer has your problem. And you ask them, hey, how do I not have this problem anymore? So I was overweight, solved that. I was extremely anxious, solved that. I was extremely depressed, solved that. I had the worst resentment against my parents, which I don't have anymore. I spent the whole day with them yesterday. My brother, my little nephew, I see them as much as possible. Like I lived in New Orleans for quite a long time, essentially as a way to try to run from my past. It, it was wild. I, it, it was wild. So I dropped all of that, all of the use of negativity, all the use of substances, all the weird stuff people do all that toxic hookup culture, all that is gone simply by doing a positive daily process. So that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack there. But what were the first steps that you took when you, when you obviously you found a coach, you found somebody who had gone through some of the, some similar scenarios as yourself. What were the first things that they recommended you do? How did how did your how did your mindset and your goals and everything start to change and form from there? The first thing to do, which for a lot of people is the hardest thing to do, is to be honest. One has to take a serious look at their life 
and to one person in the world admit that they need to change. That was the first thing I had to do. After 20 years of, of inadmission, that is was the first thing. After admitting I needed to change, I then reduced all the activities I, would, I was engaging in. We don't grow through addition. We grow through subtraction. So you subtract the bad food, you replace it with intentional nutrition. You subtract the sleeping in, you replace that with waking up early. You subtract the negative action and you replace it with physical exercise. And those three things were it. Those were the three steps I took. Was it easy? No, I was in my, I was in tears pretty much every morning for maybe three or four months. And this was shedding my karmic debt. I had accrued, excuse me, so much karmic debt um, that in taking these first steps, I was paying for it. And the amount of pain, positive pain of release from my heart was, was unbelievable. I was, you talk about journaling. I was journaling every day. The first long piece I wrote was to my ex. It was an apology, uh, manner in which I carried myself. Um, and some months in, I reached out to her and we met up and she didn't know what to expect, but I read her several pages and it was incredibly cathartic. And since then we have been on incredible terms, terms that I, I could not even imagine. She hit me up today. Literally, she hit me up today. We speak regularly. This is someone that our breakup was so acrimonious um, or could have been, or I, it was it was kind of rough that I could have never spoken to her again, like a lot of my other exes. So you asked about initial steps. Be honest that you do need to change. Find someone who has healed themselves in a similar manner and take their advice. And for me, it was drop the BS. Drop the guard, drop the ego, and begin to drop the weight, the emotional and physical weight. And from then, it's just a mindset strengthening thing. When you wake up early and you do what people won't do, you have a mindset that they won't have. When you train every day, which is what people won't do, you will have a body that they won't have. When you are intentional with your eating, which no one is in this country, then you will have a mind and body. I don't even call it a diet. It's it's, it's a lifestyle. A mind, it's a lifestyle. And it's mindset training. What you do with your body trains your mind. People think that, oh, if I just think... Think and Grow Rich. There's a book called Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. No, 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 no. Think, <laughs> I'm not going to curse on here, but you think in one hand and defecate in the other and see which fills up first. Hope in one hand, defecate in the other. Wish in one hand. You know what I mean? And this is what everyone does. They're constantly overthinking. I was such an overthinker. I don't know. You can see a couple of my bookshelves. I read all of these books and hundreds more, and it left me at the pit of suicide. Mm. Like, wow. understand that. It wasn't until, until I stopped reading and stopped considering myself an intellectual and stopped thinking I was better than other people. And that when I acknowledged that I was actually worse off because other people didn't have these massive issues that I was able to grow. I used to pride myself on how much I knew. I didn't know anything. Yeah. I think that's a huge problem for, for a lot of people in America is pride and the ego. I mean, it's so hard to admit that you have an issue and you just want to continue carrying about the way the way your life is without wanting to change it's a huge problem it's absurd i my ego i mean also one can never truly get rid of my ego and having part of my ego is cool because i i talk exactly the way i need to be spoken to on my channel on nyc foodways on ig i'm speaking very clearly if i was completely egoless i would not have a motivation to move forward like even the desire to be ego free is the work of the ego because mm, in desiring to be yeah. ego-free, you are somehow different than everyone else, and that's ego. But uh, my ego was enormous, but it was just narcissism. I thought I was so special. I now realize that I'm no different than anyone else. I'm not any different from you. I'm not any different from the obese person. I'm not any different from the suicidal person. I've simply changed my habits. My habits are different, but we all have the same pain. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you, David Hess, and everyone else watching has experienced loss in their life in one of three ways. A family member that died before it was their time. The departure of a romantic person from your life that's an unwarranted or unwanted breakup. Or the absence in the physical or emotional sense of a parent during your young childhood. I'm just going to guess that. You can you can, you can can say, I'm actually curious to hear, have you experienced one or any of these? Uh, yeah, I've, I've experienced quite a few of them. Uh, but I would say one of the most impactful ones was uh, the loss of a parent at, at a young age. Dude, it's all the same like i'm not gonna curse right now but it's all the same you can curse i don't care it's all the fucking same every <laughs> single person has the same pain it's why we drink yeah you fill that void with the fucking bottle 
You fill the void of being bullied by trying to sleep with as many women as possible. You fill the void of spiritual death by going to Burning Man and eating acid every day for eight days. <laughs> like, it's all the same shit. Every single person on this earth that I know of has one of those three things handled. And back in the day, when we had a group of people, what if great grandma, village shaman, childless, uh, like a group of childless sisters, they have some genetic thing where they can't have kids, um, the tailor, blacksmith, all of your cousins, the crazy massive family, 200 people linked by blood, 2,000 people linked by kinship, we're just there for you. Like, I'm not going to denigrate your problem and say you didn't suffer the worst wound a man could, but I am going to say that it would have been at least slightly ameliorated by a group of 2,000 people. Would you agree? Yeah. So that's what it is. Everyone has experienced the same pain. That obese person is filling their life with food because they didn't get what they needed growing up. The person you're speaking to now had people that were emotionally and physically absent when he needed them and was just lost because of it. And I don't blame anyone. I, I've spoken about this before, but there is a difference between being responsible for your pain and being the cause of your pain. So someone else caused your pain. Someone else caused my pain. Someone else caused everyone else's pain. But that doesn't make them responsible for it. There's only one person that is responsible for your pain and my pain, and that's us. And so I always thought, oh, it's their fault. They caused it. They're responsible. Fuck them. Never letting this go. No, dude. No. I am responsible. You are responsible. We are responsible to heal our pain. And in doing so, that's the best thing we can do. Because then we can send that energy to the person who hurt us saying, it's all good. Unless you let it go, it won't let you go. Yeah, that came that came to me to a in a workout. Unless you let it go, it won't let you go. And the only way to let it go is to replace it with someone something else. If you have hatred in your heart, you can only you can't just get rid of the hatred. You have to replace it with love. That's such an important thing to say because uh, that's one thing that a lot of people have said to me. Um, I've had a lot of. Uh, I mean, my past is pretty crazy, but I've I've had to forgive a lot of people in my life. Um, parents, adopted parents, just for the, the trauma that they put me through as a young person and the trajectory of my life at a young person. Cause I mean, I moved out when I was 17 and it left me on my own and I've been on my own ever since and just been trying to like figure life out. Yeah, exactly. Like oh, how, yeah. how awesome. But if those things didn't happen to me, I wouldn't be where I am today. But the thing is, is I've had to forgive these people. I've had to let that let that go but so many people have said to me like i don't know how you could forgive them i don't know how you can even have a relationship with them but the thing is, is like for peace of mind for myself for for me to have a better life for me is to forget about that stuff forget about the hatred forget about the things that they did to me forget about the things that like ruined my life at the time it seemed you know it seemed like my life was over you know I, when i moved out when i was 17 i thought my life was over i, I didn't think i would be able to be successful um, but I had to forgive those people. Otherwise it was going to hinder my success for, there we go. for, for everything in life, for a relationship. And I'm not talking about success in like a financial way. I'm talking about success mentally and physically and emotionally. It's extremely important to forgive people. It's the ultimate thing. Have you heard this one? Forgiveness is for the forgiver, not the forgiven. Mm, I like that. Also, Resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And it's why I was so poisoned. I was holding on to so much negativity against other people. But whatever we have inside of us is what we have. Like, how on earth could I resent other people and not feel like the earth had resented me? And I, I had to do the same thing. And you walk the path of this feels like my life is ruined. This is extremely destructive. So you can then release that and not be self-destruction comes from feeling like others have destroyed you. That that's how it works. And self-construction yeah. comes from understanding that you are there to build others no matter what. I don't know if you believe in reincarnation. Something else that often comes to me is I have to be good in this life, in this body, because I'm not sure that reincarnation is real. Some people are sure that it's real. And they think, ah, eh, you know, whatever, next life or whatever. I don't believe, I, I, I literally, a lot of people, and if they don't believe that, they seem to be walking that path. Like people seem to be walking the path that they're, they don't have a death. Like they mm -hmm. go through these motions every day, this nihilistic existence of pleasure chasing. It's like, you're 
my age, like people are my age. Like you, I see these people my age in their mid thirties. Like, dude, you're going to be gone in 40 to 50 years. You want to spend your time doing that. And I did because I was essentially denying my mortality. When we engage in these nihilistic self-destructive behaviors, we are denying our own mortality. If it makes us give away our power by saying my life doesn't matter. I'm just going to do all of these things that don't matter. So Man, forgiveness is the biggest thing. Releasing resentments is the biggest thing. And it sounds like you, I mean, you know what's up. And we all walk right. the same path. The only difference is our honesty on the path. Had you met me a few years ago, I would have thought you were nuts. You should be angry against those people. How could they leave you? How could they do that to you? Now I say, how could they do that for you? Well, they did that for you because they didn't know any better. People in my life did that stuff for me. They didn't know any better. I mean, I look at it as like a... a you know, like I, I'm not happy that those things happened to me. I'm definitely not happy. I don't, I wouldn't wish the things that happened to me on anybody. However, if those things had not happened to me, I don't know where I would be in life. I honestly, I mean, I've prided myself on the fact that I was able to overcome those things and be where I'm at today. Because again, had I not gone through that, who knows where I would be. There's a lot of pride in overcoming and most people haven't overcome. I mean, that's the hero's journey. So yeah. they hear the trauma, or they, they get the trauma, they're in the pit, and then they stay there. And so then they're not proud of themselves. But those of us who have healed, then there's massive pride there. But that pride is only on the other side of the pit. I see that in so many people that I've gone to school with. I remember like, I remember this one phrase this girl said to me one day, I was in, I was in class. And I think it was right after I'd moved out, I was 17 in high school. And she was like, I was kind of telling her a little bit about what had happened. And she's like, man, I would have never guessed any of that happened to you just by like looking at you. And that stuck with me for, for my whole life because I, I would always put on this front. I would always try to like make it look like I had this perfect life. Like nothing had happened to me. But then as time went on, I'm like, I need to like start talking about this. I need to make people aware of, it. I need to help other people with my story. And that's one thing I realized a lot of people that I went to school with who seem like they had a perfect life. It's not so perfect now looking at where they're at mentally now. I mean, a lot of them are in drugs or they died of suicide or, um, you know, they, they're depressed, they're anxious. They have all this, all these things, all these ailments. Yep. Yeah. The one that fronts, there's a, a lot of performing online and there's a lot of performing in real life. The one who is performing and shows a, fl a flawless facade and is the biggest liar. They're the ones mm. anxiety stricken in bed. They're the yeah. ones that are holding on to massive resentments against their family. There is no perfect life. People are encouraged to present a perfect life because they want to sell themselves as this per perfect individual. But that's BS. I'm so much more attracted to the story of someone that says, dude, I went through this. That was awful. Like it's still in my head some to some degree but i know exactly how to deal with it through yeah. living life people like your trauma is going to be there we're not trauma eliminators we're coming to terms with it we're healing it and healing is a process not a product which is why you can't buy it you can't buy any process you live it a path is to be walked it's not to be if you sit on the path and eat or drink then you're just stagnant you're moving backwards but yeah, I never would have expected it. The most normal or perfect people I see that are totally fronting and not showing their pain or darkness or whatever, I know they have the worst. They're the biggest cheaters. They're the biggest liars. <laughs> They're the ones in bed. Yeah, like I'm, I'm telling you, the, the sign of it of a of a hider is that man or woman in bed, stricken with anxiety, because that's what used to be me when I didn't have social media. And I wasn't showing up for myself. I wasn't showing up for my people. I would be in bed. I couldn't leave my bed for like the whole day. And I, whenever I see someone that's fronting in this manner, I'm like, come on. How many hours <laughs> you spend in bed? Like, what do you need? How many Lexapro pills do you need to get out of bed? And it's not from a place of negativity. It's from a place of, please, we're in the same room. If you're sucking and you're in the same room as me, because we're on the same planet and we're all connected, then how on earth are, am I going to be doing well? I mean, there's a little bit of selfishness there. Like I want everyone to be doing well, obviously for themselves and their family, but because I'm so sensitive, I'm, I'm, my ego is down enough for me to admit that it pains me. Like the pain of awareness is real. Knowing that people are not working on themselves causes me pain. I am so sensitive. When I see extraordinarily large people, I'm like, oh my God, your family must, they must be really worried about you. And then I'm like, fuck, you could do something about that. And I'm actually, I've gotten to the point where I have asked people on the street, like, 
are you all right? And I show him my, <laughs> I show him my, um, my before and after, after picture, which is the big, whenever I feel any sort of way about anything, all I have to do is look at my before and after picture and I'm immediately grounded immediately. Mm. Any problem I have apartment fire. Or otherwise, all I have to do is John, you were massively overweight anxiety stricken drug using no money making like chill out it's going to be okay like the earth can't the universe can't take this away from you and i always feel better but i've shown many people dozens of people on the subway like uh waiting rooms of doctor's offices like i had a like an attendant a male nurse or some sort of functionary close to 400 pounds heavily breathing it was difficult for him wow. to walk and, and i said listen dude there's no one else in this room like check me out and like most extraordinarily large people, he was in deep denial that of anything. And he said, oh, COVID. You know, as soon as they bust out, that's an extremely common excuse. COVID this. And I said, all right, well, you know, mm -hmm. if you're interested in changing and that one didn't work, but I have helped some people just, just by showing that I was here and am now here, which is what I want. And you have showed the same thing clearly by talking about your trauma. And this is what I want for everyone watching is your negative state is simply a representation of future positivity. In healing yourself, you will be the living example of change. And then all the people around you who also need to be healed will say, oh my goodness, you did it. You dropped the weight. You don't hate me anymore. You don't hate you anymore. We can actually be in the same room and not have this weird, awkward energy. Thank you. I'm like, that's it. One guy, when I was on a run, I guess I was looking particularly fit. He um, he ended up signing up, which was, which was cool. That was, that, was, that was definitely a feather in my cap. But most people, it feels like an assault, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, most people enjoy hearing stories like that. People like to hear stories of somebody who was 400 pounds or 300 pounds and they lost it all. And now they're jacked and they're just the super disciplined person because it's like the hero story. It's like somebody who was able to conquer their own life, conquer their own addictions, their own um, their own hatred for themselves. People realize that, but yet people still don't take those actions. It's, it's wild, right? People love hearing those stories, but it's got to be someone else. Like someone else has to be yeah. vulnerable enough to make the change. Somebody else has to be vulnerable enough to say, hey, like cheating on my partner is not okay. Somebody else has to be vulnerable. It's the same performative thing. They want to experience a performance, but it's like Shakespeare wrote all the world's a stage, right? So all the world's a stage. What part are you playing? Are you in the shadows? Are you eating popcorn? Are you watching? Are you actually going to be present and say, yeah, John, David, you you all went through it too, like, and you're all right. You're in shape. You don't hate your folks. You don't hate this group for doing those things to you. No. Okay. Well, what about me? Like, that's what I want people to see when, when right. they, when they hear your story, when they hear my story, I want them to, I want you all to think like, I can do this. Like the, another thing that really trips me out is I believe more in you guys than you believe in yourself. Like that's the wildest thing. And it makes sense because I, made the change. And I know that you can make the change. A lot of guys I meet with, they are just large. Like they have the muscle underneath there. I had no muscle. I couldn't do five burpees. I couldn't do 10 pushups. I never touched a weight. So I'm actually, I have a little bit of resentment against, you know, a lot of high school ball players, dudes that were in the military. That's the biggest trip out of shape. Dudes that were in the military are like, Oh my God, like you already were disciplined. You already <laughs> ran, a, you already ran a solid program and you're already in shape. You know what it means to be these things, these three things that I never had. I didn't play high school ball. I didn't even work out back in the day. And that's the thing. Like so many guys are limited because they think, oh, I'm overweight. I'm fat. I can never change. No, like, dude, you were a high school. You ran track. You like you were in the weight room for five to six years in college, four or five years in college, whatever it is. Like people have so much untapped potential that I see in them. I can size up muscle tone in a heartbeat, fat or not. I know exactly what people have underneath all that fat and and it was a little bit resentful because what I had to go through, but that made me stronger for it, right? That's what it is. I had to build muscle and lose the fat. I cried when I did my first pull-up that was like five months in. I think wow. it took me five months, five months to do a real full pull-up from a dead hang. And I, I burst into tears. I couldn't believe it. You know, I I got a college degree. I'm not kidding when I say that doing the first pull-up unassisted was more rewarding than this college degree. Period. Wow. Yeah. It's real. Yeah, now I can do, you know, 10 or so. And that's great. And I want to do more, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to do more with my life. I want you to do more with your life. I want everyone to do more with their life because we only, 
really have one of these and who knows where we head after it's it's there is a sense of urgency that is sorely lacking from everyone and they wake up and they're 40 or 45 and 50 and they don't have what they want and they think their life is over your life is not over most of the people i chat with are in their 20s 30s and 40s one of my eldest client was 59 like there are people everyone can change 50 is the new 20 50 is the new 25 three months of being extremely disciplined will change your entire existence and it actually matters if you think about it, proportionally, the older folks, it's actually less of a time investment because they've already lived 50 years. Three months of a solid program is actually a proportionately smaller fraction than someone that's 20 or 25 or 30 or whatever. So, yeah, just about caring about the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, what do you do now? What is New York City food Foodways? What is that? So NYC Foodways is my coaching program, and it's also okay. my cons my consultancy. I do food consulting. I'm involved in food rescue, brand development. It's a holistic approach to food. A food way is a cultural pathway through food, and our foodways are broken. We waste a third of all food produced in this country. There's massive issues with overweight situations and obesity. So NYC Foodways is a coaching program. The fundamental basis of it is intentional nutrition. And then I work with folks. I've set up food rescue projects across the country. Uh, I have one in the works in Canada. And so there's that aspect as well. I think we can only be as unbroken inside as our relationship is broken or unbroken with food, mother nature and, and our creator and the earth. And so NYC Foodways is focused on developing the mind, body and spirit through food, intentional nutrition, through alignment with our creator, through positive love for our mother earth and through intentional living. Our ancestors for eons, we had to live intentionally. We had to be eat seasonally. We had to eat locally. We had to eat in a way that fed our minds, bodies, and souls or the, the group would perish. Now the food system is so broken and things are so messed up. People can just eat garbage all the time and they feel like garbage. So and my, at NYC Foodways on IG is, is where I do most of my work. It's where I connect with most of my people. And it's just, it's my life's project. Everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a project to develop, whether you are or not. And that project might be hidden. This project was hidden in my heart, in my mind, in my soul. And the phrase NYC Foodways came to me in a workout a few months into walking this path. And I knew I was headed somewhere. I didn't know where. At first, I thought I would be doing long form YouTube uh, pieces, which I did about various cultural things. I have a YouTube channel also same name, NYC Foodways, and then it evolved into a coaching program because I realized that this is the most valuable thing I have. My knowledge of how to go from this negative state of wasting our time, wasting our energy, wasting our food, wasting our spirit to a positive state of abundance and love and connection is the most valuable thing I have. So I would be the most selfish man in New York if I didn't seek to share it with everyone in the world. So this coaching program, anybody can do. Absolutely, man, woman, child. Kids don't really need it. But yes, any age group, any demographic, custom nutrition, custom workout, because I had to teach myself to work out at home. And then I worked out at a, you know, what would call a proper gym. Um, mindset training, Zoom calls. I chat with my people once a week. Uh, for my elite clients, they have my cell phone number. Hit me up anytime. And yeah, it's just about being accountable. We cannot, I could not be accountable to myself until I was accountable to my coach. That's how accountability works. You are accountable to someone else that is accountable to you, and then you become accountable to you. I won't let any of my clients fail because I refuse to miss. I refuse to fail. I refuse to not be accountable to me. And so I refuse to not be accountable to me. Well, then, cool. Well, then John's always going to be on point. So please hit me up. Any issues? Yeah, it, it's great. It's the most powerful form of connection is to have someone that has healed themselves and has their door open to heal others. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Absolutely. I mean, because nobody wants advice from somebody who has a perfect life from somebody who just wants to make money, right? Oh, that's the most absurd. <laughs> and and that isn't open about their situation. And nobody right. wants to take advice. I will never take advice from someone that hasn't had that doesn't have the results I want. I'm never going to listen to a broke person about money. I'm never going to listen to someone that's overweight about being in shape. I'm never going to listen to someone who is spiritually bereft about wisdom and God. I'm never going to listen to someone who is broken about being whole. It just doesn't make any sense. It yeah. makes no sense. And I will only speak about things that I've done. I can't replace your carburetor. I have no idea how to repair your fridge. Um, I can only speak English and Spanish. Like I, I, I know exactly where I am and where I am not. And I'm only going to speak on what I can bring to you. 
I mean, that's so important because so many people speak out of term. And so it's good to know where you stand and, and to only speak on experience. Speak, 100%. Speak from experience, rather. Yeah, folks that want to drop their anxiety, drop their depression, drop their obsession with whatever negativity is running their thoughts, drop their general obsession, their thought patterns, drop their resentments against the family, and drop the spiritual weight that they've carried. This is what I can help you with. I'm not going to be able to help you in doing a lot of other things I don't even know about. And I, I don't even want to list them because I only really care about the things that I care about. And I care about dropping weight, dropping emotional weight, moving forward, you know, loving my life and, and leveling up and doing what I wish to do. If I could do anything in the world, it would be working in local food, rescuing food, connecting with others as we are right now, and coaching people through their pain. And that is exactly what I do for a living. You do this full time. Yes, I never thought of coaching. I also work in, I work for a local food company doing brand development. And it's a local food company that supports local farms and local farmers. So there's an ecological aspect for it. So I'm doing in every aspect of my life, exactly what I wish to be doing. I recently purchased a home that I never thought I'd be able to make happen in a neighborhood that I've always dreamed of living in. I am doing exactly what I wish to be doing every day. This is my vision, but the vision is evolving. I'm not static and I'm not, I'm continuing to evolve, but I need to get across to everyone that your vision, whatever your dreams are, whatever the results you want is on the other side of whatever you aren't doing. As soon as you start doing what you don't want to, but what you need to be doing, eating right, working out, cutting out the BS, letting go, healing yourself, then everything else will come to you. And eventually you will be in a, a point, in a position where you are just doing what you would be doing every day. Yeah, absolutely. Eventually it becomes just a thing you do. Who you are and what you do should be the same thing. The person that does something out of alignment with who they are is hurting themselves. Now you can't get there immediately. It took me over, it took me some months. It took me a couple of years. And, but the, the transition was pretty rapid. Three months after I started programming, I got poached on social media to uh, go from working at a relatively level, low level position to this high level, higher level position at a multinational tech firm. That tech firm was bought up by its competition. And several months ago, or a few months ago, I was hired as the director of operations for a local food company. And the external things mean nothing. They are simply a representation of the internal work. Don't think that I'm, and I've barely gotten started. I'm not some massive, like, the ego thing is, is another thing people trip on. Having a nice place to live, making money, all these things mean nothing if you are not okay inside. Like I said, the rich and miserable are everywhere in New York. But the man that came from a low position and has ascended in these material steps is clearly doing something differently inside. And the external thing represents the internal work that I've done. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree 100% with that. I've, I've personally seen it. I mean, within the last year, I started doing a morning routine and I've started a business since then. I've, dude, I've gotten like, I've gotten a lot more fit. I, I just feel great. And I've, I've worked out for a long time. I've worked out for probably over 10 years now, but this is probably the most fit I've been um, within the, and the healthiest at the same time. And I mean, healthy, like as in like diet and nutrition and everything. So. It's a way to be. You're doing everything with intent. You're clearly thinking through your day. Critical thinking is so rare, but you have gone from, you know, working out for some stretch of time to actually thinking about it. And the results are obvious. I can tell you're in excellent shape. You know, I can tell you are in excellent mental shape. You have a creative project, which everyone needs. Everyone yes. needs to, everyone needs a creative project. Everyone wishes they would sing, dance, paint, make YouTube, do something on online. Everyone needs that, but everyone is, is hiding. You just need to do it is all you just need to take the step. Just to, don't even think about it. Just do it. Yeah. And then, and then continue doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, John, is there anything else you want to talk about or promote or is there a website people can go to? Best to way for you? folks to find me is on IG at NYC foodways. That's at NYC F O O D W A Y S. I have been there. The darkness feels overwhelming. The extra weight feels overwhelming. The spiritual baggage of multiple generations feels overwhelming. It feels like you never escape. You can never do better. The first thing for you to realize, make the change, is that you can feel better. Once you decide that you can feel better, you have the ability to act better. And I'm here to help you. Please get in touch. And you put out daily videos too, correct? Every day, sometimes multiple times a day. I post I love, multiple times a day. I love the videos you put out. 
Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, it's that means a lot. It, it's it's so important for me to create these things because it's a love letter. It is a love letter from my life to the world. It is a message from my heart to the world. It is a bit of energy, a bit of my soul that upon releasing it, I know that it's being accepted by so many other people. So I appreciate that. It, it just, it's so important to do it. It's important. I mean, because you never know who it's going to impact. You never know who's going to see it and be like, wow, I needed to hear that today. There it is. Yep. All right, John, thanks for doing this. This was fun. I hope to do it again. I hope maybe one day we can meet in person. That'd be cool. I'm down for round two. Much love from New York City. All right, man. Thank you. Mm -hmm.